So, have you ever dismissed something as insignificant only to find out later that it was actually extremely significant? Like you didn't know it at the time that it was a big deal, but later on you found out that it was actually a huge deal after all, it's very significant. And I'm not sure if the name Ignask Symbolweis rings a bell, but it actually showed up in a few of her history tests growing up. And this was a doctor from 1846, and he was a medical doctor, and he worked at two different maternity clinics that were right next to each other. Now, one maternity clinic was staffed by doctors, and the other one was staffed by midwives. And this guy worked at both of these clinics, and he noticed something. The difference between the two clinics was in the doctor's clinic, the maternity clinic with doctors, the women were dying of a fever known as childbed fever. And they were dying of childbed fever five times the rate of the women that were giving birth in the midwife clinic. And so he couldn't understand why. And it was a time in the medical profession where they were starting to be more careful with you know, keeping data. And so the autopsies were becoming more common. So he starts paying attention to what's the difference between these two maternity clinics? Why is there such a difference between the life and death of the moms? And he looked at each clinic and what they were doing different, and he notices something. He noticed that the doctors, unlike the midwives, the doctors had started doing autopsies of the women that would die. And, but immediately afterward, they would go and deliver babies without washing their hands or the instruments that they use. Now that seems kind of obvious to us, but back in that time, germs had not even been discovered yet. The whole idea of disinfecting had not even been discovered. And so years later, Pastor would actually discover germs, but at this point, that hadn't been discovered yet. So they didn't know how significant it was. He didn't know why it was making a difference, but he just realized that there was a difference in these two clinics. So he told the doctors, let's wash our hands and let's wash our instruments and we'll use chlorine because uh, he thought maybe the smell had something to do with it. He didn't realize that chlorine was a disinfectant. He just thought it would get rid of the smell. So he says, okay, so let's wash our instruments and our hands. And of course, they start washing their hands and their instruments and this changes everything. It becomes this matter of life and death. It didn't seem like anything significant to their knowledge. In fact, it kind of seemed insignificant, but it had life and death implications. And so what I wanna to do today is use that as a metaphor for what we've been talking about for the last few weeks, which is the power of our words from this book. Words, they'll get you into us, they got you into us and they'll get you out. And to be honest, life and death may seem a little overstated. Like, is our, our words really that significant? But here's what Proverbs 18.21 says. It says that the tongue does have the power of life and death. And that's actually not hyperbole. It's not just, that's not just there to get your attention, just, you know, language that would hope to help us pay attention, you know, to the words that we speak. No, this is actually something that is more literal than we could imagine. That the, that the tongue does have the power of life and death. And yet, for a lot of us, we underestimate the power of our words, that we could either speak life or death to the world around us. Now, on average, we speak about 16,000 words per day. Now, some of you are seriously skewing that number big time. <clears throat> but on average, 16,000 per day. Now, 
that just the sheer number of words that we speak makes it very easy to really underestimate the significance of each and every word. 16,000 words a day. That's like writing a 60 page book every day just with the words that we speak. And each of those words matter. And so the Bible is gonna warn us about being careless with our words. But it's, it's super easy with that many words to really underestimate them. It's kind of like going to the beach and scooping up a big handful of sand from the beach. And that's a lot of sand. And so you're not really concerned about if a few slips between your fingers. And it's the same way when we become careless with their words and underestimate their power. Just a few words can have the power of life and death. Now, some of you, some of us know that very, very well because we remember some of the words that were spoken to us as kids that had the power of life and death. You can remember those words. Maybe a parent or a teacher or a sibling, friend, coach, even a pastor said something to you that either brought life or brought death into your world. And so Jesus warns us about the power of our words in Matthew 12. And here's how the message paraphrase says it. This is interesting. Jesus is talking to the religious leaders and he says, every one of these careless words is gonna come back to haunt you. There will be a time of reckoning. Words can be your salvation or words can be your damnation. That's pretty strong right there. Jesus used the D word. What he's saying is that words are revealing to who we are and what's in our heart, that they're powerful and we need to take them seriously. So we're gonna talk about that a little bit today that God has really hardwired the power of words when combined with belief within our life. <clears throat> and yet so many of us underestimate the, word, the power that words have in our lives as well as in the life around us. Life or death, whose choice is it? It's ours, that's right. The most significant example of that is the prayer of salvation, salvation itself. Because listen, when we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, so somebody believes in their heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and they don't die in their heart, that he died for them on the, on the cross and rose again, and they declare with their mouth that Jesus is Lord. In other words, they speak as a result of what they believe and then the biggest miracle ever happens. A new creation is created, we're saved. So we know that speaking as a result of what we believe works. In fact, it's the very core of our salvation. And if you don't think that it works, salvation is actually questionable. Then last week, Pastor Steve looked at James chapter three and it says, when we put the bits in the horse of mouths, they obey us and we could turn the whole animal with such a small thing. And then it says this, in the same way, likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body and it makes great boasts. In other words, the tongue is a very small steering device for your life that accomplishes great things, even though it's so small. But then he goes on to say, consider what a great force is set on fire by such a small spark, that the tongue is untamable. We're never gonna get to a place where it's gonna be easy for you to control your tongue. You can control it, but you're never going to tame it. So it's always gonna be a wrestle, is what James says. See, I know what it's like to feel like I'm subject to just whatever happens and I have no control over my life, over no rule over my life. They were just in a boat with no oars and we're just drifting, just doing our best to react the best way we can to all the stuff that happens to us. And this is what causes anxiety and worry in our life because sometimes we lack that sense of rule that God wants us to have. 
with our heart and our mouth. And so today we're going to talk about what is it? We're going to talk about how to actually make sure that the steering wheel of our life is, is available and that how to understand that when we speak, our tongue has impact to steer our lives. Now, I'm going to give you a caveat to this message. If you grew up in church or you were very religious growing up, this may be a challenge to you. Some of the teachings that we've heard in churches in the past, I'm going to actually challenge today. Now, I'll never challenge the Bible, but I am today going to challenge some of the religious thoughts and teachings that we've had in the past. But if you'll keep it an open mind and just, just focus on what the Bible says, we'll all be okay. Okay? But look, look, if you come to church and you don't expect to be challenged, you might be in the wrong church. I just want somebody to tell me what I already know, and then I'll amen that. Well, there's plenty of places for that. And anybody that knows me knows that's not me. So I'll just be me, all right? So let's start back where Pastor Steve has taken us before in this series with Mark 11, where Jesus tells his disciples he's trying his best to teach them how he has been doing ministry for the past three years or so. And here's what he says. He says to his disciples, truly, I tell you, if anybody says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Now, that is a bold statement. Can I just say, this is the place where Jesus actually explains to his disciples the power and the rule of their words, the authority to use their tongue in, in re relation to their beliefs to, sh to change the world around them. Jesus said that we are supposed to have, Genesis said, I'm sorry, that we are supposed to have rule over the creation that God created. That's what Genesis says. Um, now, we don't like the word control because we want to, we, our thought process is that God is in control and he is, but there's a certain amount of control and rule that he wants us to have. And what we're going to discover is he keeps trying to get of it to us and we keep trying to give it back to him. But this idea, because this idea of our authority versus God's authority, it's kind of, there's tension there. Like who's supposed to do what? Like that's the place where it gets kind of confusing. So what I want to do is I want to go back and trace back God control, and God is in control. And we're going to look at God's control versus man's rule and man's authority that God gave him. We're going to look at those, okay? So look, we're going to go all the way back to the Garden of Eden where God created man. And when God created man, it says that he gave them authority over the earth. And then God said, let us make mankind in our image. So this is the Trinity talking to each other. Let, let, let us make man in our own likeness. So, why? So that they may rule. Rule over what? All the creation, the fish and the, and the birds and livestock and all the creatures that move along the ground. Then in verse 28, he continues and he says the same thing. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth, subdue it and rule once again all the stuff that he created, okay? So God gives mankind, Adam and Eve, dominion or rule over his creation. Now, when we think of like, well, who controls the world? Like who controls everything? Who has dominion over everything? Who has rule over everything? We immediately say God does. And you're exactly right. God is sovereign. He does have control. He is on the throne. But here in Genesis, we see God delegating some of his rule and his control to Adam. 
And so he gave or he delegated rule to man over the creation. But there's a second thing that God gave man, and this kind of messed everything up, not in a bad way, but God gave man free will. Now let's go to Genesis 2, 16, because this affects everything. So God creates man, gives him rule, puts him in the garden. And then it says, the Lord commanded God, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but, but you must not eat from the tree of, of knowledge of good and evil for when you eat of it, you'll certainly die. So why would God create this beautiful, perfect paradise Man is perfect. He's got authority over everything. He's made in the likeness of God. He's got rule. And then put right in the middle of the garden an opportunity to mess it all up. And why, when they ate from the tree, why would they die? It's because without the opportunity to sin, man had no free will. He was a robot. He was a slave. Because there was no opportunity to leave. There was no choice to do anything but serve God. And God wanted us to have free will so that we could love him freely. Now, this was a very important part of God's design of humanity, and it affects our rule, this idea of free will. And this tree, there are a lot of different interpretations of the tree, but I believe it was simply this. I believe that God said, this is your free will. Adam and Eve, this is your choice to love me, and I want you to love me and I want you to, you know, I want to be in a relationship with you, but not because I for you, force you out of a lack of choice, but because you want to have a relationship with me and you choose to be in relationship with me over yourself. And then, so we know that God gave man rule and he gave man along with rule, free will by the tree. And then the serpent, the enemy, many of you know this story, the devil came along and used his words to counteract God's word and he brought sin and death into the world because Adam and Eve partook of the tree that God told them not to. And it was their free will tree, so to speak. And so because of that, at that point, man hands the rule and the dominion that God gave him through that mistake Man ha mankind had authority and he hands it over to Satan. And when that authority was transferred to Satan, he brought disease and poverty and strife and murder and pain and all the, all the bad stuff. He messed up the whole earth for man. So for the next 4,000 years, man is going to struggle because he was supposed to have rule and he gave it away. But he still has his free will. And so this is the problem is that mankind had free will, but no longer had the authority that God gave them to rule over the earth that God placed them in. But there is good news for mankind, for you and for me. And that is that when that happened in the garden, God promises a savior that would come and redeem us and buy us back, not only salvation, but our original authority, our right standing and our authority with God. So Jesus comes as a virgin, lives a sinless life. You see, every man, all of us, every man was all born in sin. But this one man who left his deity in heaven came, he was 100% God, 100% man, and he lived a perfect life. So see, he didn't have to live under the curse of sin that we all do, which comes with a lack of authority that we all have because we gave it over to Satan. So for three years, Jesus is operating in the same authority that Adam was supposed to operate in in the beginning. 
And Jesus is walking around like he owns the place, like he's got dominion, like he's got rule, like he's got authority. I mean, he's like talking to weather and, and all boat, I mean, uh, plants, telling him to die. I mean, he's talking about all this stuff. He's healing people with, with what he says. And then watch this. In Luke 10, he says to his disciples, I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and overcome all the power of the enemy so nothing will help you. He's not talking about actual snakes and scorpions. He's talking about the power of the enemy, authority over the enemy. And then there's another scripture where Jesus says the same thing and you'll find this all through the gospels. So, uh, so Peter comes to Jesus and he get, and, or Jesus asks him, who do you think I am? And he says, yeah, I think you're the son of God. And Jesus affirms the answer. He says, you're right. And then he changes his name. Side note, we talked about this last week, or Pastor Steve did. His name, Simon, meant read, easily swayed. And that concerned Jesus evidently because he changed his name and said, no, your name's Peter now. It means solid rock. This is one of dozens, if not hundreds of examples of Jesus using the power of the tongue. He changed people's name because now everybody calls Peter not swaying reed, but solid rock. And then in verse 19, he says, I have given you the kingdom, keys of the kingdom. So whatever you bind in earth, heaven's going to back you up. Whatever you loose on earth, heaven's going to back you up. Wow. He's explaining them the authority that they were supposed to have all along. And he's teaching them how to use it because in the future, something's going to change where sin no longer rules them. Then in uh, seven, Matthew 17, he says, truly I tell you, if you have the faith of a grain of mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, sound familiar? Move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible to you. Jesus is doing his best to get this idea in his disciples and to us that he is giving back to us the rule that God made us to have in the very beginning. And so if you understand the history of your authority in Christ and your rule as a human, that God has rule and then he creates man to rule in the garden. Man gives rule to Satan. God sends Jesus to come take it back from Satan. He does that by living a sinless life that allows him to rule with the same authority that Adam was supposed to have. Jesus then models how to use that with man, and then Jesus teaches us how to do it in the gospels, in all these different gospels, and then Jesus pays for man's sin so that he can actually legitimately rule again by wiping away all the sin that destroyed the rule and the authority. But the plan was not just to, to pay for the sins of man, it was also to give man back the rule that he was supposed to have all along with the power of a heart of belief and a tongue of faith. See, the problem is, is that humans, we love authority, but we hate responsibility. And the problem is that authority comes with responsibility. As a teenager, I worked in a pizza shop and I, I got a promotion. Man, I worked super hard to get this promotion to shift leader, even though I was a teenager. And when I got that promotion, I was so excited about the authority. I got to tell people what to do, you know? And I, and I got that rule. However, the responsibility and the pressure that came with it was something that I was not prepared for. And I remember very, very clearly just thinking, man, if I could just go back to mopping the floors, if I could just go back to cooking pizza, being an employee, man, it may, may sound awesome to be the boss, but those of you that own businesses or are bosses, you understand that pressure. 
And I remember the Holy Spirit nudging me, take a step in, don't shirk your responsibilities, take your step. And that's what the Holy Spirit is encouraging us. There's a story in Mark where Jesus and his disciples, they've had a big day and they get in the boat to go across the Sea of Galilee. Now, the Sea of Galilee is an interesting place because it's actually below sea level. And it's actually surrounded by all these high mountains and hills that are all around. And they've got these ridges in them. And here's what happens is these winds whip over the high mountains and they barrel through and they hit the Sea of Galilee and they clash with the warm air that's coming off the water right in there over the Sea of Galilee. And it creates these huge storms that attacked even today that attack just in minutes. And this happens while the disciples are on a boat at night going across the Sea of Galilee with Jesus. And it says that these veteran fishermen are terrified. So, for, I mean, they were used to these storms. They were veteran fishermen. But this storm, it had to be a beast of a storm because it says they were terrified. Now watch this. In verse 38, Jesus is in the stern, the bottom of the boat, and he's sleeping on a cushion. And the disciples wake him and they say to him, teachers, don't you care if we drown? So Jesus gets up and he uses his mouth, his tongue, and he rebukes the wind and he says to the waves, quiet, be still. And the wind dies down and it's completely calm. Let me ask you a question. Who's Jesus? It's not a trick question. He's a son of? He is God. He's God himself. What do you call talking to God? Prayer. Prayer. So the disciples, they wake God up and they pray to him. They come to him and they pray. Don't you care that I perish? So Jesus then gets up. He answers their prayer. He takes care of it, the storm in their life himself. This is so interesting. Watch what he does next. He says to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Now, wait a minute. Praying to God and asking for something and then receiving the answer to that prayer, for a lot of us, that is faith. But Jesus reprimands them because he had to do it for them. He's trying, to get, he's trying to get them to stop thinking that God had to do everything for them. He's trying to under, help them understand that he had given them authority and explained it over and over. And he wanted them to use their authority. Here's what I want you to see. Here's the key for today. God wants to stop only doing things for you and he wants to do more things through you. God wants to not only do things for you, he wants to be able to do things through you. See, if Jesus' only mission was to come and live a sinless life and die for the sins of man, he could have done that without attracting all these disciples and then teaching them the things that he was actually doing. He gave them back authority over the power of the enemy. He's teaching them. When he cursed the fig tree, we talked about that last week, and Peter says, hey, look, it's the fig tree. Jesus, it's dead. And Jesus said, yeah, it's cool, all the things I could do, but don't try that home. No, no. Peter points it out and he goes, yeah, let me explain to you how that works and that you can do this. And he tries to explain them the rule that they are supposed to have all along and the rule that he was going to take back from Satan ultimately and give to them through the power of belief in their heart and that they speak as a result of what they believe. He wants to do things through you. But that brings us to this problem and this quandary. If we have authority and God has given us authority to take dominion, rule, control over the world that he placed us in, what does that do with God's authority? 
Now, don't get this wrong. God is on the throne. God is sovereign. And in addition to that, as Jesus illustrates with the story of the storm, let me say this. There is a possibility that just like the disciples, we ask God for things way too much. Now, the Bible does say, come to me and ask humbly. So you should ask. It's okay to ask sometimes, but he has also given us authority over certain things. And so it's possible, it's possible that we ask God for things way too much, things that he had already given us, just like the disciples did. The authority that we have and the responsibility that we have to affect the world around us. You see, Jesus gave them authority and he expected them to take care of the storm, obviously not ask him to do it. Now, this goes against a lot of things that we've been taught, but Jesus actually reprimanded them for asking him to take care of the storm in their life. So here's my question for me and for you. How many of us have storms in our life that he has given us authority over and we're asking him to deal with the things that he has given us authority to deal with because we believe in our heart and we say with our mouth what the word of God says and that that mountain is removed and cast in the sea in our life. We're so bad. As soon as something seems to go wrong, well, we don't want that responsibility. Why did God do this? And why didn't God do that? We like to give that responsibility back to God and go, well, God's in control. And yes, he is. However, he de delegated some authority to us. He has delegated to us and he has given us free will along with that. The same thing that he gave to Adam in the garden that Jesus bought back for us. So many times we're like, why God, why God? And we blame God for things, but he's given man authority and free will. We say God is in control and he knows better than we do and all this stuff. And yes, that is absolutely true. And yet sometimes that's our way to shirk about our responsibility. We think he's gonna come in and, and take over the rule and the responsibility that he gave us. And sometimes he does just like Jesus does, but it comes with a reprimand. What would it be like if we understood our authority? That we understand the power of our words based upon the, what we believe in our heart. And God actually says this, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A teacher in Bible school used to say it like this, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth leaks. You can't help but say what's in your heart eventually. If it's in there, it's gonna come out. James says the tongue is untamable. So what's in your heart is going to come out. It's only a matter of time. Now, if you want to suppress it, if you know what's in your heart is bad, negative, it doesn't line up with what God says about you, then you want to be quiet. Don't be blabbing that. But while you're trying to control your tongue, you better be trying to change the beliefs that are in our hearts because what's in our hearts is going to leak out our mouths eventually. Watch this. This is so in... Fear is the same thing as faith, except for it's on the negative side. So think about it. Fear, you believe something, you, you fear something's gonna happen, you believe it's gonna happen, you meditate on it, and you actually don't doubt in your heart, but you really believe that it's gonna happen. I know I'm gonna get laid off. I know I'm gonna be one of the ones that get laid off. I know that that diagnosis, I know that I've got cancer. I'm sure I do. My dad had it, my grandma had it, and my mom had it, and that's why I know I've got it. And then what happens is you speak as a result of what you believe in your heart and you do not doubt. And therefore you have what you say, but yet it's fear, not faith. So here's the question. What would happen if all of us together just understood the power of our words, 
the power of our tongue. And that we understand that when we speak as a result of what we believe, it's, the, it's how you got saved if you're, if you're a follower of Jesus. And if we begin to feed ourselves the word of God so that we believe what the word of God says and we take that authority that he placed in our life and we use our tongue as a result of what we believe and it steers our life. What happens if we stand up and we, and we use the word of God and we use our tongue to steer our families or our businesses or our emotions? And we begin to rule the world that God placed around us. And we begin to steer our lives with our tongues. What kind of family could we have? What kind of church could we have? I mean, seriously, what kind of impact could we have on the world around us if we understood the power of our tongue? That it's life or it's death. And that we choose, I choose, you choose, based upon your free will and the power and the authority that God placed in you. This is what my heart is. That at the end of this series, that we are, would all walk home just with an understanding that there is power in your tongue. It's all through the Bible. And Jesus used it. And Jesus tried to teach his disciples to use it. And if you go on in the Bible, Jesus' disciples taught their disciples how to use it. And we see examples of people, Christians beyond the apostles, that are using the rule that God meant for them always to have. There is power in your mouth. There is power in your tongue. And for those of us that kind of understand this, we've heard this for a long period of time, I wanna challenge you. Sometimes we don't pull out the power of our tongue until there's a fire somewhere. We're not using it to maintain our Christian walk and our Christian faith. That we understand that we, you're steering your life whether you're aware of it or not. And so we let our tongue slip or we let our beliefs in our heart slip or maybe both of them slip until the fire, oh wow, oh yeah, okay, so let me speak to that mountain. Let me grab the scriptures and let me pray the scriptures and let the scriptures come out of my mouth. But I wanna encourage you, maintain, because God doesn't want you just surviving. God wants you thriving in the things of God so that you can affect the lives of other people. That's what it's all about. I hope you've enjoyed this series. Would you guys stand with me? I just wanna pray a blessing over you.